Okay then, moving on to the next verse. Or these dim shadows which, through the pale gold tropic dawn, from the outcast village flit, balancing on their heads, baskets to bear away, garbage and excrement, hugging the wall for fear of the scorn of their fellow men. What will you say to them? You see the contrast, the beautiful natural scene. Dawn in any part of the world can be really beautiful. But that is the backdrop of this scavenging work. And of course, I came to know quite a bit about that. You know, once I had started making uh, more contact with uh, the followers of Dr. Ambedkar, people, just women especially, carrying away baskets with garbage and excrement. So this is the work of Dr. Ambedkar. You know, he was trying to address this, yeah? Yeah. Well, yes, interestingly enough, there was a programme on the radio just very recently in that series of incarnations. And uh, there were just 15 minutes to each programme. And uh, it consists of little sketches, almost one might say, of 50 Indians who have contributed to India's history. And Ambedkar was one of them, just last week, I think. It was very well done, considering it was limited to 15 minutes, but... Nothing was said about his conversion to Buddhism or the conversion of his followers. That wasn't mentioned. I thought that very significant. Yes, it was an Indian presenter, someone who put together that program, which otherwise was well done. But Buddhism wasn't mentioned. And Ambedkar's conversion wasn't mentioned. And of course, Ambedkar himself was born into an untouchable family. But luckily his father had been educated a little when he was in the army, so his father encouraged him, and Ambedkar was a brilliant boy and eventually became a very highly qualified man. Hmm? I studied in the States and studied in England at the London School of Economics and went back to India, determined to do something to raise the position of the society for the people from whom he sprang. But he found it very difficult. He encountered a lot of resistance from the higher caste people, who of course were Hindus. And in the end he came to the conclusion that there was no hope for the untouchables, his followers, if they remained Hindus. So he proposed a really radical solution of conversion to Buddhism. He rejected, in effect, Marxism. He felt that human beings needed a religious or spiritual basis to their lives, that they couldn't live without that, that that was the basis of everything. So, yes, he embraced Buddhism himself publicly, along with 400,000 of his followers. And the conversion movement spread, and I became involved in that after his death. Well, involved in it a little, even before his death but very much involved with it after his death. So through my ex-untouchable friends, my new Buddhist friends, I learned quite a lot about how they'd been forced to live, what their difficulties had been, and so on. And sometimes I actually experienced it myself, because I remember once I was somewhere, I forget exactly where, on one of my lecture tours, and I had lunch at... Uh, the home of one of the Dalits, as they came to be called later. 
and there was a glass of water with my food. And I looked at it and I saw there's a lot of sediment in it, mud at the bottom of the glass. And then my host explained, he said, oh, he said, it's the rainy season and we have to take the water from the river. We were not allowed to take it from the well because those Hindus won't allow us to touch the well. Dalits were in the minority in the village, so they couldn't do much about that. So they had to drink water from the river, which had sediment in it. Hmm? That's just a simple example. Yes, hmm? yes. And of course I saw where some of them lived on some of my visits. They had sort of usually separate quarters. They didn't live really in the village. They had a little sort of sub-village of their own just on the outskirts of the village. And there were so many stories of how they were being treated. And yeah. one still gets these stories in the newspapers in India. And occasionally those stories you know, reach the West. So when you were continuing the work of Dr. Ambedkar, were you serving him? Were you serving spiritual values? Were you serving political values? What well, you I felt I was serving the Buddha. Ah. That this is what the Buddha would have wanted me to do. And of course, Ambedkar had converted to Buddhism partly because he believed that uh, well, society needed to have a bedrock of religion. He felt that society needed religion, but it had to be a religion that promoted human values, not a, a religion that denied those values as Hinduism did. So I certainly didn't see myself just as a sort of social worker. No, I was doing the Buddha's work mm. because those people had gone for refuge to the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. So I saw my duty as helping them to understand you know, what that meant, because they didn't always understand. So you've got there a political movement led by Dr. Ambedkar, who's thinking, we need to have spiritual values in this. Yes. Yeah? So are we a spiritual movement that thinks we should be having much more um, political engagement well, of course, within the Trivatna Buddhist order, people don't all have the same view in this respect. Some are sort of genuinely devoted to their own spiritual practice. And, of course, maybe they have full-time jobs and they have families. So they may have sympathy for what we're doing in India through the movement, but they don't have any sort of strong feeling to take part in that. But there are some order members who have, one might say, more of a social conscience and are more aware of you know, problems that we're having to face nowadays, not only in India, but in the world. And of course, I have sometimes said that I probably would not have become socially involved in any way as part of my Buddhist life if I'd not been in contact with the ex-untouchable Buddhists. Of course, that was a particular situation, but as we see from the poem, well, it's a situation that in different ways exists in most countries. Yes. And did you get involved in that work because of your connection with Dr. Ambedkar? You know, you'd made a few connections with him, or you'd met with him. Well, that was useful. That gave me a certain credit in the eyes of his followers. And uh, Dr. Ambedkar, I know, has spoken about me and my work in very positive terms. And also it helped that I was English. I mean, sometimes people have asked me, well, how is it you being English by birth? You could become so much involved with that uh, movement of mass conversion. 
they said, well, weren't people suspicious of you because uh, you were English? And I used to say, well, no, being English helped. <laughs> mm. In two ways, I used to say, well, you're a new Buddhist, you're not born Buddhist. Well, I'm a new Buddhist. I was not born a Buddhist. I've chosen to be a Buddhist, just as you have chosen. Hmm? And also, I'm not part of the caste system. I have nothing to do with that. So that they felt they could trust me, mm. because I was one of them, in a sense. So it was a great advantage yes. to be English within that context. When we were talking about this verse the other day, you um, said to me, oh look, spiritual values have to be given concrete expression, which sometimes involves politics. If you want the law to be changed to express yes. those ideals, you have to engage with politics. Yes. Well, this is the assumption being that you live in a democratic society where action on your part with that of other people can change things and change things non-violently. You also told me about an incident where you found yourself having to teach prostitutes. Oh, yes. Yeah? Yes, indeed. Yes, it wasn't simply that uh, I heard about them. I came face to face with several hundred of them, though most of them were were working as prostitutes. And this was in an area called Kamatipura, uh, which is the district of Bombay. And I was invited. I don't know who invited me. I imagine they may have had their own organization. And many of them would have been from the Dalit community. And of course, they'd become Buddhist with the rest of their community. So here I was, you know, with my translator one evening in Kamatipura. And I did what I usually did hmm, when I came to any new place or met a new group of new Buddhists. I explained what you meant by going for refuge to the Buddha, well, who the Buddha was, what did Buddhahood mean, then the refuge, the Dharma, then the Sangha, I explained all that. Then I came to the precepts, talked about non-violence, talked about non-stealing, and then, of course, I came to the third precept. So when I came to that, I said, as far as I remember, well, I can't say very much about that. You'll just have to do the best you can. Mm. That's what, and they laughed. Mm. And there they were sitting, all these, these several hundred uh, women, and uh, they, you couldn't tell just by looking at them whether they were prostitutes or not. They were dressed in colourful saris. They had the edge of the sari over their head in a modest sort of way. <laughs> And that was that. Mm, yes, mm. so many of them. Mm. But you could see that what well, they were women, they were human beings, didn't look different from anybody else. But here they were, here, living that sort of life. Yeah. You had a lot of sympathy for them, Bunty. Yes, indeed. <laughs>